did we see the birth of new stars this past week. Stunning and dominant victories epitomized the fights this weekend. Arena Kobayashi and Jin Mandakaro are names to keep a close eye on for the future, and Yaman became the It Man as Japan's King of the Streets has been decided. Welcome to Kick Weekly with Tim Wheaton, the kickboxing podcast. This week we're going to be covering off Rise 173 and Fight Club, plus some fight announcements and a look at the future of combat sports in Japan. Due to some computer issues, some effects on this episode will be a little bit modified. However, the audio should still be coming in crystal clear. Let's kick it off with Rise 173, which was a really fun event. It had a women's title fight on it and a four-man tournament to crown, who will be next in line to fight Kazuki Osaki for the title. To kick it off, you had Jin Mandakaro defeat Rayo Hanoaka by knee and then hook knockout just in the first round. Two minutes into the first round, he got a flying knee to exploit the open guard like that, and it was awesome. It was so exciting to see. And then he followed up with a hook, and Rio was unable to get up from that. That was awesome. Next, you had Kaito Hasegawa, who was the 18-year-old fighter that I was talking about. He defeated Hirooki by knockout via knees in round three. And the thing is, while Kaito is uh, only 18 years old, he is showing so much more maturity in these fights. I think he has a Kyokushin background. And the only reason I say that is just due to his stance. I might be entirely wrong. He might be brought up thoroughly through kickboxing, but to me, he looks a little Kyokushin. But yeah, this was an awesome fight. It was really exciting back and forth. Kaito is just such a talented fighter. And this is one of the people I would say you really need to keep an eye on for the future. He's only 18 years old and fighting in a competitive weight class. And arguably, he's already already top 10 in this weight class. Jin Mandakoro is a very exciting fighter. There are a lot of things that I like about Jin, and there's a lot of things that uh, I, I, I'm a little bit more concerned about Jin. He leaves himself open a lot because he's such a pressure aggressive fighter. But the things I like about him are that he's a pressure and aggressive fighter. I also like that he's a very lead jab heavy kind of fighter. It's when it's orthodox versus orthodox, he is a lead jab fighter. And for whatever reason, I'm always a sucker for someone who's got a really good, straight, tight jab. So in the in the uh, final of this tournament, you had Kaito Hasegawa and Jin Mandakoro go to war. It was just an awesome fight. You had tons of exchanges of low kicks and punches, huge volumes of strikes going back and forth. Mandakoro tried spinning back fists a couple of times, and Kaito punished him for even trying it. Mandakaro had a right straight that seemed to be making a difference as the fight went on, but Kaito always threw back in combination. If you missed one punch, he would punish you with three more. If you landed three punches, he would try to land five on you. It was this this awesome high volume fight. At one point, Mandakoro was able to land a combination low kick head kick, and I think I'll just put it on screen and see if I can get it running that way. By the way, I don't think Rise likes that, so if uh, if this video gets taken down, know that it was this <laughs> this clip playing right now. Um, uh, Jin Jin Mandakoro has a, a a like quiver full of different kicks. And because of that, especially attacking the body and attacking the legs, Kaito was often able to catch the kicks and return fire with a ton of heavy punches like he was doing in the second round. Mandakara was able to get a knockdown with a head kick in round three, and that sealed the fight for him. For how close the fight was, scoring a knockdown late in round three was enough to secure victory. While it was only a knockdown, uh, Kaito really tried to come back in the last minute of that round and tried to score a knockdown of his own or a knockout, and he pushed, and he pushed, and he pushed, and he really tried to land a flurry of punches. But the thing is with Mandakaro, he is always happy to throw down. So you might be throwing a volley of punches at him. He's got a volley of punches of his own ready to go. 
So in the end, Jin was able to get the win, and now he will face Kazuki Osaki sometime in 2024. The reason I really like this fight, uh, and this is the theme, is talking about like the birth of future stars. While Jin Mendicaro certainly isn't a crossover star now, we're not talking about him versus you know tension or anything insane like that. Uh, this is just one of those people who will be a lock in kickboxing and a must-watch fighter for the next five years. At least for the next five years. He's a really exciting style. Uh, he's still quite young. I think he's only 25 or 26 years old. And he continues to get better in between fights. But it's his must-watch style where he is just throwing down. He has uh, an aggressive pressure style. He sets everything up with the jab and a ton of volley of kicks. He is uh, he mixes the very technical with the very brawling and aggressive. And, uh, you know, it's just, mm, in this sport, ah, just delicious. Love that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, Jin Mendokoro versus Kazuki Osaki. It's, it's a tough fight for Jin. I mean, Kazuki Osaki is such a tough fight for anyone. The uh, thing is, Jin is going to need to be so much tighter, so much more uh, careful out there because he can't be giving up any shots in, in a fight like that. Uh, but I think there are a lot of ways that he can push forward and look very aggressive, such as things like with his knees and controlling with the jab as much as possible. Uh, but it's going to be a really good fight there in 2024. In the main event of this fight, sorry, in the women's title match of this fight card, which wasn't the main event, it was the, the co-main event, Arena Kobayashi was able to get a dominant win to capture the title. Now, she fought the champion Erica in this fight, and Erica has been the long-reigning champion. We haven't seen her for, I think, 18 months or something like that. But yeah, Arena Kobayashi, just an incredible dominant win. It, they looked like they were fighting in two different leagues. Like, Arena Kobayashi had been fighting in the major leagues and had come down to fight some amateurs, essentially what it looked like. Uh, a TKO in the second round due to referee stoppage really doesn't summarize how dominant this fight actually was. Um, everything, uh, uh, the thing is, Arena is just so impressive as a striker. And she showed every skill in this fight when it was the most important. This is the biggest fight of her career against a champion, and she rose to the occasion. Uh, it was the most dominant win that maybe she has had, and it was at the time that she needed it most. Everything from her timing, her combinations, her accuracy, the speed, power. She was mixing high and low punches. You saw all of the skills of Irina Kobayashi in a very short amount of time. And she has this one thing that she does with a right cross to left hook combination that just landed over and over again. And clearly every time it landed, it was making a difference against Erica. Love to see that one. This is the kind of fight that we talk about of being a very important fight for being a pound-for-pound pound fighter. I I, she, I think she's ranked 10th on the pound-for-pound pound rankings right now. With a win this dominant, looking this good, I would expect her to go up uh, just a little bit higher from this performance. So congratulations to Arena Kobayashi, just an incredible fighter. Uh, and, and, and again, like this is one of the fighters that you're going to want to keep an eye on in the future. She t packs t power, she packs speed, she throws combinations. She's also competing in a weight class where there are a few other fighters for her to, to fight against. While, you know, she might not be selling out the Tokyo Dome kind of thing, I think she's going to be around for quite a while, and she's going to be a very difficult fighter for anyone in that weight class for the next little while. I think if you are a kickboxing fan, you need to be getting into Arena Kobayashi. What's next for her? I do expect her to be fighting. Uh, so Wakana Miyazaki got a win on this card against Melty Kira. Uh, there's also a, a, Akari out there as well. So Akari had just beaten Wakana Miyazaki earlier this year. So both of those are reasonable and top contenders for Arena Kobayashi. Uh, uh, Wakana Miyazaki already has lost to her, but you know, there's only a few people in this division. It's developing at this point. So it's something that we'd like to see. Probably both fights will be happening in the future. While Melty Kira lost, she's a fighter that I talk about probably too much for someone at her skill level. 
look, the reason I, I, I like Melty Kira is because she is one of those like off the couch kind of fighters of have you ever thought about like oh, five years ago? What if what what would have happened if I got off the couch and started training or right now? What happens if I get off the couch and start training in professional combat sports? Could I make it? That's what Melty Kira did. He essentially got off the couch during COVID and started training. And at this point, she is one of the top 10 fighters in her weight class. So good for her. As an aside, I will admit she didn't look incredible, but I'll do <laughs> I do like her attitude. I like the way um, I like her story a lot. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to seeing more in this weight class. And as for crossover fights, the weight class that Arena Kobayashi competes in doesn't exactly crossover perfectly with a lot of other organizations. So they've already did a crossover against the champion in shoot boxing. Uh, and Arena won that one. But if they were to cross over with K1, she would have to cut down in weight to fight Miyu, or she would have to go up in weight to fight Kana Silverwolf. And I think in either of those cases, the larger fighter would end up winning. Uh, yeah, her weight class just doesn't align to any others in, in kickboxing perfectly. Uh, Rise always brings it. Rise always has really good cards. So when when Rise 173 goes public in a few weeks on YouTube, make sure to check it out on their YouTube channel. I don't think there was a, a, a particularly boring fight on this card. I think all of them were action-packed or ended via knockout. Make sure to check out Bashi Crab Shrimp, who just uh, has a crab shrimp persona when he fights, and that's cool. He got knocked out in the first round, so you know it's fun. <laughs> you know it's a fun fight. <laughs> Let's talk about Yaman just a little bit here. Last week we were talking about this is a showdown of the kings of street fighting in Japan. Mikuru Asakura had come out and he used to be go out in roving gangs and try to get in street fights from where he's from. Uh, Yaman was getting routinely in fights throughout school and had both men had to turn their life around into something or else both of them would have died. Both of them found professional sports and have found success uh, respectively doing different things in MMA and kickboxing. And now they finally crossed over. This was a small, open-fingered kickboxing match. And Yaman was able to prove who the best street fighter in Japan is with a knockout just 70 seconds into the first round. Just 70 seconds into the fight, Yaman was able to stop Makuru Asakura with a knockout. This was very impressive power, speed, but more than anything, it was precision and accuracy. And these wins really do matter because Makuru Asakura... It's a name that everybody kind of knows. The, the the Asakura brothers are stars in Japan. Like we talk about that level of people like Kyoji Horiguchi or Tenshin Asakawa. Those, the Asakura brothers are just behind those guys in terms of fame. So defeating an Asakura brother in the main event of a fight that you hosted via knockout, Yaman is kind of becoming the it man in fighting. He's already had a very good career with a lot of impressive wins in, in Ryzen, in Rise, in kickboxing. He was a part of the match. He, his name has been built up very like slowly that he's been a part of a lot of major events. But I think that's going to continue. So on New Year's Eve cards like with Ryzen or K1 uh, or Arise, I expect Yaman to be on it because he is now the it man. His name comes with a promise of action. He is becoming a star in Japan. And he is a very highly skilled fighter, but more than anything, he is an exciting fighter. He is willing to get knocked down twice just to have a comeback victory. He is willing to take a punch to return a volley of punches. And because of that, promoters are taking notice that this is one of the guys that we need to keep an eye on. This guy is going to be put over the top in the next few years. You need to be watching Yaman. And he has a very resonant story as well, talking about uh, being raised by a single mom, losing all their money at some point, seeing his father 
struggle with drugs and knowing that he needs to turn his life around right now. Before that, he was getting in street fights, like I said, routinely, all of the time. It was, he realized, I'm going to die doing this, or I need to change careers. Weirdly enough, he still ended up in combat sports. Didn't really change careers, he just went legitimate. (laughs) And when he fights, I mean, when he put out all those burlesque dancers during the walkout, that was a moment that a star is really coming together here. Before that, his walkouts usually had children around him because he wants to give back to children who had the same upbringing that he did. And look, I, I know you talk, You heard me talk about this last week. Uh, I'm probably going to bring it up every time he fights because it's a really cool story. Uh, I think he is one of the going to become one of the it guys in Japan. I saw people talking about Manny Pacquiao already. I don't love it, but I mean, I, I, crossover freak show fights need to make a lot of sense. If it's an open-fingered kickboxing match against Manny, okay. If it's a boxing match in regular boxing gloves against Manny, Come on. But that's kind of the level that we're talking about here why, with where he is as a star. And the Manny match isn't insane either. It's not like out there. Manny is signed to Ryzen, technically. Uh, they had Floyd fight Makuru Asakura just earlier this year. So Yaman versus Manny really isn't that insane of a matchup. But do you want to see it? Do I want to see it? Sometimes you got to take the freak show fights just to get the good ones later on. I don't know. But I think all of this discussion is talking about Yaman, talking about Makura Sakura, Floyd, Manny, uh, you know, talking about Kyoji Haraguchi and some of the other fan, uh, some of the other stars in Japan, like Takeru and Tenshin, is becoming a broader theme that we're now seeing. So the Kogataki boom in Japan in the early 2000s, that was the golden age of combat sports. There was a time in the UFC where Brock, Connor, and Ronda had fought in the same year, and Despite amazing numbers that year, they still weren't scratching the surface to where Japan was in the early 2000s. Between K1 and Pride and the professional wrestling that they had at that time, that was the golden age of combat sports. And due to various scandals, Pride and K1 fell apart. Uh, Even though K1 still exists to this day, it was sold to an overseas company. It was kind of bought back. The name has continued in Japan, but it's still not at the level that it once was. Pride, same thing. It fell apart due to scandals, uh, was bought out by a foreign company. The name was unable to continue. And because of it, fight sports largely fell apart in Japan. Like K1 was lucky that it was able to somehow survive. In that time, you also had the Dream organization and Sengoku, and there was a few other MMA organizations who fell apart in that time. But over the last few years, we've seen a slight trend change where I don't think we're going back to a combat sports boom in Japan. We're not going to be anywhere close to what that Kogataki boom was. However, we might be seeing sustainable combat sports in Japan going forward. Look at how big things like the match was. Look at how big Ryzen has gone back to the Tokyo Dome. Ryzen is putting on events that are getting lots of eyes on it. Rise is always putting on continuously quality shows and doing fun stuff on the side, like their Fight Club events and other things like this. K1 is experimenting with their rebirth phase right now. And then on top of that, you even have some amazing boxing with Naoya Inoue. And Tenshin Asakawa and Takeru are still floating around doing various things. So like I said, it's probably not going to be a combat sports boom or a combat sports golden age like we were seeing, but it's certainly reason to be optimistic. It is very likely to be something like a combat sports renaissance in Japan. All of those different sports crossing over, kickboxing, MMA, and boxing are doing very well right now. I cannot speak for professional wrestling. I have no clue how it's doing in Japan. Probably fine. (laughs) 
I know that professional wrestling in the early 2000s, it was it was a part of that Kokotaki boom with kickboxing, MMA, and pro wrestling. Those were kind of the big three at that point. Right now, it seems like boxing, MMA, and kickboxing are the big three, uh, just because Japan has some incredible boxers that uh, worldwide are respected and pound-for-pound greats. So they've really brought up combat sports altogether. Ryzen didn't have a ton of support for a long time. I don't know if it was on TV. And same with K1. I don't think it was on TV for a long time. But they just kept going forward anyway. And they were willing to spend money to try to build up this sport. And now, because of how healthy it's been, you can see things like the UFC didn't go to Japan for a little while. Now they're trying to come back. One championship is really targeting Japan. They know they need to come back. And you get someone putting in the legwork so you don't have to build up the sport. Then it's a good time to try to reap the dividends of what they built up. And with the PFL Bellator buyout, Bellator, we don't entirely know what a lot of the status of these contracts of fighters in Bellator are, especially a lot of the fighters who were uh, partially Ryzen fighters. Like a lot of the Bellator Ryzen fighters are now Ryzen champions. So what that contract status means is not entirely clear. But what we do know is that the PFL said that they're going to keep the Bellator name alive and run something like Bellator International. So I would imagine Bellator PFL, Bellator slash PFL is still going to be looking to do uh, shows in Japan. Whether the crossover with Ryzen remains to be seen. I know the PFL does like Ryzen. Uh, They respect Ryzen a lot and they do like the product that they put out. I would imagine that they are extremely receptive to that kind of work. I would imagine they're very receptive in doing crossover shows because it it only benefits the PFL. Like, like, trying to get to Japan, doing a crossover with Ryzen, like, you'd be lucky to do that. I would imagine that we see a little bit more crossover going forward through the big sports anyway, as we were talking about last week. And, and thank you uh, for Damien House for pointing this out and helping me out. Uh, Gloria and Bellator did do a crossover in the past. That, they were both on Spike TV at the time, and that really helped put the money behind it. Uh, Spike TV was putting up some money to put on kickboxing and MMA events in the past, uh, and they kind of had uh, different crossovers. The Bellator kickboxing is the reason that Glory's not on Spike TV anymore. Uh, I don't know. What, 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 it would have got dropped anyway at some point, but Bellator kickboxing was really the the nail in that coffin but yeah so what that is to say is that whether glory wants to cross over with the pfl or uh bellator slash pfl wants to do a crossover with ryzen there probably is a lot uh, they are very receptive to these kinds of things and they've done it in the past uh, we also have a couple fight announcements let me just bring them up here uh joseph lasiri progenshai yeah we did that one nongo we did that one last week buakau yeah, we did that one last week. Oh, yeah, John Lineker versus Liam Harrison to meet at one fight night 18 in a Muay Thai match. John Lineker, of course, is a former UFC fighter and a former champion in one championship, known for his power. Something like 80% of his fights in MMA have ended by way of knockout. He was able to stop the former one and dream champion Bibiano Fernandez via knockout to capture the title in one championship. Uh, He just got outstruck and beat up by Fabricio Andrade to lose his MMA title, so now he's going to switch over to Muay Thai to fight Liam Harrison. Liam Harrison, of course, is a UK Muay Thai icon. He's fought in all-time greats like Nongo and Sanchai in his career. Liam Harrison suffered a knee injury in his last fight against Nongo. Before that, he was putting on fight of the year contenders like his fight against Muay Thai. He's always an action-packed fighter, very forward-facing. It's going to be a really fun fight, I think. Immediately, I, I went, Liam Harrison has this. It's a Muay Thai fight with Liam Harrison against an MMA fighter. 
really have to put into perspective of the age of Liam Harrison, the injuries. Uh, John Lineker is notoriously hard to put away, even if you are hitting him and outstriking him. He's a guy who just doesn't stop going forward. He has some real toughness. I think it's going to be an action-packed fight. One Championship has also announced at one fight night 17, heavyweight Muay Thai with Roman Curricula and Alex Roberts. This will be for the one Muay Thai heavyweight title. Roman Curricula is already the kickboxing heavyweight champion and will be crossing over into Muay Thai. This will be the first heavyweight Muay Thai fight that one championship has put on. And I think this is the first fight that Roman Curricula has done Muay Thai in about a decade, I believe. He was on a Muay Thai card back in 2013. He might have been kickboxing on it too. Uh, But yeah, he's not a, a Muay Thai through and through fighter. He will be fighting Alex Roberts, who is the WBC heavyweight Muay Thai champion. So if you want to know what the status of heavyweight Muay Thai is at any time, WBC keeps the rankings for that. Lyndon Knowles was the long-reigning WBC heavyweight champion for quite a while, and he just lost his title to Alex Roberts, I think in October. So now they're going to do Alex Roberts versus Roman Curricula. It is a sport where uh, Alex Roberts should have every single advantage. He's far more experienced in Muay Thai than Roman Curricula, but man, Roman Curricula is very, very talented. Uh, I think it's going to be an action-packed fight. It will end by knockout either way, but yeah, I think they're really trying to make a two-division champion here. Yeah, it'll be it'll be something. I don't know. It'll be something. I'll talk about it a little bit closer event as well. It has things like Smoke and Joe Nadawat on it, Felipe Lobo, Sampech, Walter Gonzalez, Jacob Smith. Should be a little fun event on December 8th. I will have a... Coming out December 1st, we should have a... Um, we should have an interview with Anthony Pettis coming out. He's going to be fighting Benson Henderson in karate combat. Uh, and it's a really good card. Uh, Ross is going to be looking to defend his title. Ross Levine, of course, is going to be looking to defend his title against Sam Alvey. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a banger. Uh, yeah, folks, that is it. Kick Weekly with Tim Wheaton is a wrap for this week. Again, next week is going to be a little bit of a slow one. Hopefully I have my good computer back up and running. Just helps with the you know, the energy. I don't like changing scenarios so much. I'm one of those weirdos. Once I'm set in my ways, once you change it, I I change my voice. I do everything differently. It's weird. I'm uncomfortable, even though it's the same software and stuff, but it's just weird. But hopefully I get my computer back. And uh, but yeah, anything that you'd like me to talk about, please let me know. I think it's going to be another slow week, so I do need as many subjects as possible. Send in any questions you have or anything to discuss. Uh, But folks, please, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you all soon.